Hello and welcome to the Data Journalism Podcast. My name is Simon Rogers. I'm a data journalist, speaker, and teacher, and data editor at Google. And my name is Alberto Cairo. I am a professor of visualization at the University of Miami, an infographics designer and journalist, and also a book author. We love using data to tell stories. The music you can hear is a sound of data made with two-tone, an app that turns data into tunes. And this is the Data Journalism Podcast, the only podcast, as far as we know, and at least so far, dissecting the latest trends in data journalism around the world. In each episode, we will explore the latest in data journalism, and we will chat with some of the world's top data journalists. You will get to find out how they do what they do. So subscribe at datajournalismpodcast.com to see how data is changing the world of journalism forever. Hey, Simon. Hey, Arthur. What do we have today? Well, we've got a great guest this week, and it's a good one to begin the year with. It's Anna Brand, who is a managing editor of CNN Digital's um, online data viz and graphics team. Yeah, yeah. That was a very a super interesting conversation with, with Anna. We spoke about the structure of her team, the way that they do things, some projects of hers. I think that this is a particularly interesting episode for uh, students and beginners, I believe. I think so. And it's a really unique team. I mean, all of these teams are unique. You just realize how different everybody does it with data journalism teams. But, you know, she's working for one of the world's biggest news broadcasters, but really most of her work is done with her team, about 15 people online. And it's good work. It gets, it wins prizes. One of their pieces won a gold at the Information is Beautiful Awards. And um, I think it's a really interesting uh, story about how you create graphics in a newsy environment, but things that are going to last as well. It's not just for the day, but really to give things a bit of a life. And um, that's something that I think we all have to wrestle with. How do you do that? How do you create things that are relevant beyond just the day they come out? Yeah. All right. Let's jump right in. Let's jump right in. I'm Anna Brand. I am the Managing Editor for Data and Graphics at CNN Digital. Hi, Anna. Welcome to the Data Journalism Podcast. It's great to have you on. We'd love to know a little bit about what you do day to day. Tell us a bit about your role at CNN Digital. Yeah, so um, I'm the Managing Editor. I manage about 15 people. Um, It's a global operation, so there are folks who are based in the U.S., um, in London, and in Hong Kong. And the team is made up of a bunch of different people, as you probably see in most data viz newsrooms. So we have data analysts, data editors, visual editors, cartographers, developers, designers, illustrators. Um, they make up uh, the team so that at any given moment, we're able to work on different types of projects as needed and, and figure out the right groups to, to pursue them. Great. And tell us a little bit about how your kind of normal day-to-day works. Like, what would a, a typical kind of busy news day look like for you guys? Well, it's kind of been busy every single day, <laughs> as is um, the news and as is CNN. Um, it is such a wide-reaching organization. Um, the global reach is massive. So there's always news somewhere in the world. And part of my team is that we're really attached to what's happening at any given time. So if it's a really busy politics week, I'm part of that that sort of coverage and what are we doing in that space? And maybe the rest of the newsroom isn't as tied to the day-to-day and then it switches over to business or health or tech. And we kind of work as generalists in this space. So we have to kind of adapt and see 
what the storylines are and how to be involved. So for my day-to-day, I join our newsroom editorial meetings every morning. There are a couple. There's a digital-specific one, and then there's a CNN worldwide call, and the newsroom priorities are laid out there similar to probably how other newsrooms work, where we talk about the top lines of the day and kind of what's coming on in the counter-programming space, so the non-news heavy topics. And I've already sort of set out the agenda for what's coming for the day or the week, and those meetings are really there for me to jump on what's missing, what's new, how can we fill in the gaps, are there stories that are being talked about on these calls as newsroom priorities that feel like super complex or complicated? And is there a way that my team can kind of jump into the mix and help explain what's going on to our readers? Typically, if it's something where people in the newsroom are talking about it and they're trying to make sense of it and we're trying to figure out how our readers are going to understand what's going on, that tends to be a space where I'll jump in and and kind of a light bulb goes off and I'm like, hey, maybe this is something that we need to visualize through data or infographics or something where we can be involved in help shed light on the story. So after that call, I kind of go back to my assigning editors and we chat a little bit about are there holes? Is there something that we should jump on? Who's on right now in London that might pick something up? Who's signing on later? Are there teams that we want to merge and and have work together? Um, And then we kind of go from there. Hi, Anna. So I'm so happy to have you here and, and talk about all these processes because it, it brings brings back very good memories from when I was a deputy managing editor myself, having to handle all you know also big teams in the in the newsroom. Um, I have so many questions, so I'm I'm going to just ask a follow up question about about this process. So, what would you say that is the balance between breaking news and long term projects in your in your team? So I, I would say that we always have at least one uh, piece of data viz that's going out related to breaking news daily, um, and that's at least one. That could be, you know, as simple as refining a locator map or looking at some new data that's come in, a quick turn. Um, the other area that's kind of in the middle between what you're you're saying in the long term and the breaking is what I have really stressed for the team, these medium term. Uh, projects. So what can we do this week that is related to the news at hand that's going to continue capturing audiences maybe tomorrow or the day two, day three, but we don't have to turn out today? Is there some additional reporting that we can do? Is there something more evolved in the visualization that we can do? And then we have our own standalone URL headline with a few graphs, perhaps maybe more and a couple of visualizations. So we are, you know, reporting and producing original work out of this team too, which I think is amazing and something um, that has grown since since I've joined. And then there's the long-term projects, right? And those are the more involved interactives and um, special projects that utilize some other multimedia across the newsroom. Those occur, you know, probably twice a month is a target that we'll, we'll try to hit, if not more, depending on all of the various um, approvals and and the process that we go through to get you know a larger project out the door. And your and your team conducts its own reporting. I gather from what you what you said, right? What, what would you say that is the balance between pieces that your team reports on its own and pieces that are produced in collaboration with other other parts of the newsroom? 
that's pretty balanced. I would say it's evenly split. Of course, we lean on subject experts when we're dealing with sensitive materials or subjects. Um, If it's something that we want, let's say, an editor on the business team or on the international desk or wherever to sort of be involved in the reporting or help guide us, we partner on that. But when we have sort of come up with a framing or a storyline around data, we take the ownership over that and then we'll get sort of a second eyes or a top edit from a desk editor. Um, but it's about split. I would say it's even right now. The the reporters, the data editors, the visual journalists on my team, they come from all different backgrounds. So some of them, you know, were business reporters in a past life. Like we've all come in different, you know, paths to get to this team. And so I really try to utilize the skills across the board. I mean, some people, they they come to the team, they want to re- write and report. Others need more help in that area. So we we try to partner teams and people so that there's new experiences and, and people are really learning all the time. So a lot of people that listen to the podcast are students or who are really interested in like data journalism and getting into it. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came to, to be part of this world. Sure. So I have a super unorthodox uh, journey into here, or maybe not. Um, I come from a journalist. They're, they're all they're all unorthodox, but yeah, they're all, they're all over the place. <laughs> um, I uh, was a magazine journalism major. Um, I was uh, reporting and editing um, after college, um, and I got really involved um, in the politics and election space around 2014. I was working at. NBC um, and MSNBC. And I was trying to figure out how to make sense of the midterm elections and looking at all of the women who are running, figuring out ways to slice the data. There wasn't a data viz team at NBC or MSNBC at the time. I was on the digital staff there. And it just was sort of like, oh, is there something that we could be doing that gives our readers a little bit more context or understanding of what's going on either through the data or through a way that we could visualize the information. So I started like cherry picking a couple people around the product and engineering and and editorial team who are interested in this type of work. And that sort of developed into um, its own sort of bespoke projects team of sorts where we would do sort of these data visualizations help um, gather data, interpret data, and then work on presentations that um, attracted our audience. And that that led me into an elections editor role um, where I was working on building out our live blog and our different product capabilities. And I was very embedded in the, the 2016 election coverage. And that whole um, campaign, everybody was like talking about how we didn't know how to make sense of the polls. What were America's Americans really thinking about, you know, the candidates and who was running and how did how did women really feel about Hillary? And no one wanted to say that they were rooting for this candidate or that candidate and everything felt secretive. Um, and so I had launched this project called Election Confessions, where it was, you know, at the, the bare fundamental level, like a data collection of anonymous confessions from everyday Americans. And it started off with um, me taping signs to phone posts with phone number that people could call and leave their confession. There were little post-it note voting booths around the conventions where people could drop in um, their confession. There was a way to upload 
them um, to the site. And we ended up getting millions of, of confessions this way. And so we kind of had this database and we sliced it up um, by candidate, by sentiment, um, different sorts of ways that we could look at the data and visualize it. And it, it developed into an even more immersive experience in 2020. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And it led me to work with developers and designers and different people across the newsroom. Um, I had so much fun. I was able to try something new. And I um, started working on more projects uh, like that. And so I started the data and graphics team at NBC News, actually, and uh, got to hire a team there and work with, you know, similarly, data editors, reporters, illustrators, and developers to work on these types of projects. And the rest is history. I came here in July 2022. Um, so I've been here about a year and a half almost. And I love the team here. Um, it's a global effort and get to work on a whole bunch of different things. Uh, you, I mean, you you keep you keep mentioning the fact that it's a global team. So I I, I just had a question about what percentage of the work is uh, in person in an instrument and what percentage is remote. Um, it's mixed, right? Like people who are global are based in locations where we have an office presence. So that's in London, Hong Kong, uh, New York, D.C., L.A., Atlanta. Um, there, there's a mix. So people are in the office among the people who are based there. And then we meet twice a day as a team. So I meet, I have a chance to meet with folks in London. I'm based in New York. Um, and then I also meet with people who are on the West Coast later in the day. Um, China is a little bit more difficult, but the London-China uh, overlap is much better. So there's always, you know, communication going on. Got it, got it. And I would like to go back a little bit to your uh, to the discussion before about the composition of the of the team, because um, you sort of like mentioned that you have developers, that you have analysts. Uh, can you can you go a little bit into into details? I mean, of these fifteen, uh, who can do what? What types of roles they have? What is the balance between designers and developers, etc.? I think, and, and the reason why I'm asking this is that, as, as Simon said, many of our Listeners are students who are interested in careers in data journalism, and in this case, more specifically, perhaps in visualization and infographics. So it would be useful for them to know what opportunities that may be there, whether they need to be generalists versus specialists. Mm -hmm. That's something that I would also like to ask your opinion about. Yeah. So um, we have fewer developers on my team, particularly. There are two developers who have... Um, serious technical skills, but the rest of the team um, does have coding experience. And so we've got two really strong developers who are sort of tasked with our interactive builds and the things that are more involved. Um, there are few uh, design-focused editors on the team who build out our infographics, work on our um, more creative approaches to storytelling in that way. And then we've got a lead cartographer who um, really, uh, you know, owns our rigorous mapping um, techniques, looks at how we are dealing with disputed boundaries, works on our style guide, um, is really the resource for that and deals with the full newsroom when it comes to, to mapping best practices. Um, we've got a couple of data editors who can really just 
um, analyze data in the best way, help us figure out the, the best way to visualize the data. Um, and then we have a few generalists who can do a little bit of everything. So it, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. Um, it's really important to me that people learn from each other. So we, you know, we have skill shares in the newsroom. I partner people up with complementary skill sets who can um, may not feel as comfortable in one area, but can lean and on another person who can lead in an individual project. Um, we do have people who are coming in who may have just had, you know, one newsroom opportunity under their belt and they are looking for different experiences. I mean, every newsroom is different, right? So you could have worked in, you know, five newsrooms you come to CNN and it's completely different. Um, I would say that having a passion is more important than a specific skill set or area of interest because, you know, we as journalists are driven by passion and curiosity and interest. We all are generous to some degree, wherever the news is taking us, we're, we're diving in and figuring out how to make sense of it. I think it's important to hear and learn what everyone's passion is, because when the opportunity arises to partner someone um, on a project where, you know, they can really dive in and they have that extra layer of skill, that's incredible, right? Like that just makes everybody happy and um, it, it's fun to dive in. But I also like to test people um, in areas that aren't their comfort zone, because then then they learn and and they can you know be better prepared for the, for you know a similar situation next time. So I'd love to go um, Anna back to the work a little bit. And um, one of the things I've noticed about a lot of the pieces that you guys do is obviously there's the reaction stuff, there's big news story, but a lot of the the bigger pieces really kind of obviously are made to last a little bit. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about that process about how you're thinking long-term all the time, I guess. Yeah, I mean, being, you know, reactionary is so important um, to be agile and flexible as, as news develops, um, not to be so tied or precious about the work that we're doing in, in any given moment because we may pivot onto another thing, have to be prepared for that. But when we invest time and resources into a larger project, I, I want to make sure that there's the shelf life is there, that readers can come back to it. It still stands. There's information that's valuable. Even if the data is somewhat outdated, let's say a few months from now, we always try to go back and see if this piece can be updated in a way that still remains relevant. We work on a lot of trackers and evergreen personalization pieces where we can easily update um, intro copy, maybe the data, uh, we can bring readers back. There's so many existing storylines that grow on top of each other. And it's such you know, a shame to spend so much time on something that's only going to last a few days. So that's a big part of how we storyboard a project and think about the scope at the outset. But talk a little bit about like that in regards to a specific project. So for instance, like I, I noticed this, the project you've got mass shootings. I think it's like you're never more than a mile from a Talk a little bit about that project, like how you guys conceived of that and then brought that to life. Yeah, so this came out of a newsroom discussion um, where we were trying to think about the um, layers, the degrees of separation um, between a mass shooting. And some other outlets had done some projects around like how many people do you know who've been affected by a mass shooting and how that number has has dwindled. And I was trying to think about a way to get into that story that 
was a little bit um, different, right? We don't want to copy, but we also want to see how we can do something original. And location seemed like a really good way in. Um, we're able to um, think about, okay, how have the distance to mass shootings narrowed in, in the last 10 years? Um, ha has it? And Amy O'Kruck, um, an editor on my team, she, she dug into the data and we started talking about what the patterns look like, um, what seemed to be, you know, the biggest trends. And we saw that so many millions of people had been affected by um, a mass shooting in their neighborhood and in their location. So it became both a data story and a, a reported story where we wanted to hear from people who had been in those situations. Did they leave where they, you know, their homes had their, how had their community been impacted? And so while we were working on the mapping efforts and the data collection, we also interviewed people who lived in areas that were impacted by school shootings. As you can see, we incorporated audio elements there. So we had, you know, real stories from people who described what that was like. Um, it's so important for shooting, mass shooting stories, which we unfortunately have to cover so often to find the human element there and really humanize the data. And this was a way that we could, you know, really show how the numbers have grown dramatically, but also bring in, you know, the voices of the people who've been affected in their communities. And obviously you guys are unusual because you're, you know, linked to a giant broadcaster, a news broadcaster. How does that impact the work that you do? And how do you guys kind of interact with each other every day? Is it all separate houses or? Are there links? There's always links. I mean, if anything, working at a big organization like this, it helps us um, reach so many other pockets of the world where we have news gathering efforts and where we can collaborate on the reporting that's coming out of the newsroom. So we are really synced um, with the whole operation. Of course, we don't um, we don't sort of tell each other what we're going to be working on in in the sense of if something's going on air, we aren't obligated to run it on digital, but oftentimes the reporting is something that would want to be on multiple platforms. Um, my role is looking at how we can take all the information that's coming into the newsroom on a daily, weekly, or long-term basis and distill it in a visual form for our website, for our social platforms. Um, you know, I work closely with the video team on some of our explainers that end up on platforms like TikTok or Instagram Reels. Um, that's a space that we're experimenting more with. And um, we have reporters on my team who are fronting those videos, which have been really, really great to see them explain and explore the data that way. Um, but as far as the interaction with the broadcast teams, we're always sharing um, our original reporting, our data, our sourcing, and so that we can be in sync uh, when it comes to big stories. And it, it's just amazing to see the breadth of what an organization like this can do um, when you come from, you know, a digital only operation to a space where it's like, wow, there are so many people who play a role in delivering the news. It, it's just more opportunities than not to collaborate. Well, Anna, this is so interesting. Thanks so much for coming on and um every time we do an episode we have a, a couple of couple of quick fire questions that we always ask so um i'm going to randomly choose one of these um okay. Uh, okay so what's your favorite hack that you are too embarrassed to admit 
Um, my favorite hack, um, this might be a silly one, but I have an app up called Things, which tracks basically what I do at all times throughout the day. It's a checklist of sorts. Um, and it notifies me, it gives me alerts when I haven't completed um, everything that I need to do. I keep it up all day long. It's it's silly to me because there are so many other ways that I can track you know, my to-do list. We have project management systems and we're constantly communicating with each other, but I love this app um, that I keep up all day long. I don't think that that is silly at all. It seems to me that it's much more efficient than what I do, which is to write things down on a notebook. So um, anyway, so the next question, um, two or three books or classes or tutorials, or, but classes or books mainly that have had an, an impact on your career. Yeah, I mean, I I would have to say when I first started diving into the space and managing um, and and experimenting with data, a field guide to lies um, by Daniel Levitin was really useful to me. Um, it helped me understand the fundamentals of just misinformation and, and what to look out for in charts and, and maps that could be misleading. Um, so that was one. Um, the other, which is maybe more unorthodox, is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. He's an expert negotiator. And his book helps um, or helped me understand and learn a little bit about how to communicate in a large uh, organization. It's really about how you negotiate um, using and tapping into your emotional intelligence, really, to work with people at all different walks of life. You know, we have to negotiate things like deadlines and, and <laughs> you know, content and what we're going to, you know, work on and what we aren't going to, what are the priorities, all of that. And so um, I found that book to be just useful as, as a person who is working with a lot of different people and communication is, is so important to that. 